Welcome to episode seven of Dying Alive. I am Mike Darnay from Pennsburg. Unfortunately, tonight I am not joined by Jesse Marshall of The Athletic. Uh, he's a little tied up. He is still breaking down game tape from Jack Johnson being on the ice for all five Edmonton Oilers goals last night. However, I am joined by Pat Damp of the Pens blog. Pat, how are you? I'm good, but I am going to have to add in there that I'm pretty sure while you're doing that intro, Jack Johnson's now another minus two. Ooh. It's not really wrong either. No. Uh, I stayed up for that last night and whew. You know what? I, I did not. I, I, I did you not. Know what? You know what? I'm going to take that back now with, with the value of hindsight. That was a fun game to watch. It was two teams that are fast and talented going at it. And yes, there are holes in both rosters. But you know what? As far as an October game against an Eastern Conference team and a Western Conference team goes, it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and, and I think that is my general take on 6-5, 7-6 type games, that we should enjoy them when they come up because they get a little goofy, and we sure as hell will complain when there's a 1-0 boring slugfest at some point in February. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm absolutely on your side for that. There's, I, I hate the, because I side with Lozo and Wyshynski on this, the... You just don't understand a 2-1 game like a hockey fan does. No, I get it. I do. But And yes, there is beauty in it. But come on, man. Who doesn't want to watch Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby going toe-to-toe and both getting multiple points? Yeah, I saw the – I watched the highlights and I saw the clip of McDavid where he picked up the puck in the defensive zone and just took off up the ice Um, and ended up with Matt Murray making a save. But but his speed was just – remarkable yes uh it took airy a lot longer than it should have to get this sentence out because you know how he is but (laughs) at one point last night he goes uh what he was trying to say was i don't know what sentence you were starting with there mirzy but by the time you started connor mcdavid was on one goal line and by the time you were done he was on the other and i mean that's that's a good way to put it it took him like 45 seconds to get that sentence out (laughs) Which God love him. He, I, I hope I get as excited about mundane things as Bob Airy does because it's just, a, it has to be a fantastic way to live life. Yeah. So, so speaking of mundane things, uh, last week the Penguins played against the Vancouver Canucks. Sorry, sorry, I fell asleep there. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, not only did they play the Vancouver Canucks, they played the Canucks who were without uh, Elias Pettersson. Who yeah, was injured because Mike Matheson body slammed him. Which sucks because I was looking forward to watching him. I mean, the kid's been he's been a force since he started this season. And regardless of your fandom, you have to appreciate that and you want to watch it when it comes to your town. Yeah, especially when it's a Western Conference team, you only see them twice a year. Um And they will see was, them again Saturday night. Yes, it was it was a pretty Boring game, I would say. 2-2 went to overtime. Brock Besser had a nice goal to win the game in overtime. Um, 
when Sidney Crosby, for some reason, decided to make a line change by himself during three on three. Yeah, not uh, not his brightest moment, but um, one of the contributors over at your site over there at Pennsburg, Adam Gretz, brought up a great point on Twitter about that game that it was as much of a Tuesday in October against a Western Conference team game as it gets. Yes, yes, a a 3-2 overtime game that felt like a 1-0 game. Yeah, it was, I mean, say what you will about the Penguins' shortcomings this season, which we're going to get into them here shortly, but they know what time of the year it is right now. Yeah, as yeah long and, as we, and we've mentioned that before, that that they have afforded themselves the the right and the ability to know what time of year it is. And they've shown that they are able to flip the switch when it is needed to be flipped. Yeah, and, and so long as they don't throw it in the tank too badly in October, it's not going to come back to haunt them. There's definitely going to be a handful, and by handful, I mean one or two games, that you look back at and go, man, it would have been nice to get two points instead of one or get a point instead of zero. But we're in October for the next week, so. Yeah, and... When it's a Western Conference team, it's not as big of a deal as losing 3-2 in overtime to a division team, for example. No, not at all. And, I mean, for as far as that game against Vancouver went, they did some good things. They did some bad things. It, Like we said, it was like like we said, like Gretz said, it's an October game against a Western Conference team. So yeah, you got a point out of it. It's, I think moving on to the game that happened last Thursday is the more fun one to talk about. Yes, so the Penguins uh, left town to go to Toronto to play the Maple Leafs, who at that point were on a scoring tear. Uh, Everybody was expecting a score like we saw last night, a 6-5 game, and it turns out the Penguins completely stifled the Maple Leafs offense and came away with a 3-0 shutout. Yeah, it 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 was reminiscent of the Penguins in 06 and 07 when the team was stacked to the brim with young talent that could open it up and, you know, turn it into a track meet. But then they would play those teams that were already in the upper echelon of the league, your Detroits at the time, I can't believe I'm saying this, Ottawa and other teams like that that were right on the cusp of being contenders that kind of showed them you're not quite there yet. And I think yeah. that's what the Penguins showed Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They 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 gave it to him pretty good. Um, I know Freddie Anderson allowed one bad goal, the opening goal scored by Malkin on the power play, I believe. Um, but otherwise, they just didn't generate a whole lot. It wasn't one of these 3-0 games where you, you should have scored four or five goals. No, and to be fair... Uh, I've never been a huge Frederick Anderson believer. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's as great as he gets made out to be for a lot of people. You going to answer that? Nope. (laughs) I'm just going to let it ring because I can't reach it. You know, if if we had done this show yesterday, my phone wouldn't have rang because I had no cable, internet, or phone for four days. Was that a big deal to you, though? It, for the first time in my life, it was a very, very, very big deal. This is the first time something has ever been a big deal to Mike Darnay. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. <laughs> I like it. 
so uh, anyways, I was saying, uh, or you were saying rather about Fred Anderson. Sorry. Uh, he's not as good as Toronto makes him out to be, and he's not as bad as some non-believers make him out to be, but he played a good game and Matt Murray played a stellar game. So both Pittsburgh and Toronto had their chances from start to finish. Matt Murray just outdoled Freddie Anderson by one goal. Yeah, and the and the interesting thing to a further point was that was Matt Murray's first game back from concussion against a very hot, very high scoring team. And um I'm not I can't remember the goals against numbers, but I know before the game, Bob Grove tweeted out that Matt Murray was 0-4 in his previous returns from injury. Yeah, so that was a really good showing for him. Uh, he was he was his old self in that game. Uh, there's one thing I know, um, Jesse, I hope that film breakdown is going well for you right now, but uh, there's one thing he talked about last season in regards to Murray in a piece in The Athletic where he brought up that Matt Murray is a really positionally sound goaltender. Once the guy finds his angle and gets squared to the puck, he's really tough to beat. And we saw that against Toronto. Anytime anybody on Toronto got within shooting distance, for lack of a better term, Murray was on top of it. He played his angle, he got up, and completely took the percentage down for the shooter, which when Matt Murray is at his best... That's the kind of goalie Matt Murray is. Yeah, and and I think he he put himself in position to be able to come away with a win in that game, and he did. Yeah, and that was what we needed to see from him uh, return from injury because we all know, and we've talked about it on this show before, just how unpredictable concussions are. So... You never know when a guy comes back if he's still going to have some lingering effects from that. And for all intents and purposes, the last two games, I would not say that Matt Murray does. Now, there was one thing I wanted to get into a little bit about the Toronto matchup. And I know I brought it up as a hot take in a very early episode of Dying Alive. And I believe that hot take was mildly validated against the Maple Leafs. Which one was that? That the thing that's going to hold the Toronto Maple Leafs back is not going to be defense. It's not going to be goaltending. It's going to be Mike Babcock. Yeah. Now, I understand that the guy wants his incredibly high-flying offensive team to have somewhat of a defensive structure. I get that it makes sense. The Penguins showed that against them on Thursday, that if you can shut it down... You can beat just about anybody, regardless of how good your defense or your offense is. I know he's not a huge analytical guy. You don't need to look at the analytics for this point. Numbers for basic or advanced or otherwise have shown in enough of a sample size that when the Penguins and Maple Leafs meet, if Sidney Crosby matches up against Austin Matthews, Sidney Crosby shuts Austin Matthews down. So what did Mike Babcock do for the first two periods with last change in Toronto? He continually matched Austin Matthews with Sidney Crosby, and Crosby made him a non-factor. So if I'm Mike Babcock, I should at that point be able to say, just through watching film, Sid's got Matthews' number, man. Like, get him away from him. If we're playing at 
whatever it's called this week, Scotiabank, Rogers, Air Canada, whatever, center. Do not let Austin Matthews anywhere near the ice when Sidney Crosby touches it. Yeah, and, and you could even say, to go a step further, let's say the Penguins and Maple Leafs haven't played each other since last year. Austin Matthews has developed more as a player since then. Let's give him a chance and see how it looks. And then you see what things look like after a period, after a period and a half. It's okay to change it up and try something different, but to stick with it for the whole game just doesn't make sense. Yeah, he got away from it in the third period, which good on him for finally recognizing that. But, I mean, that's over half of a game. And when your best player has been rendered effective for two of the three periods... I don't like those odds. Now, with a guy like Austin Matthews, there's always a chance he could go off for a period, but you're already putting yourself behind the eight ball. So I don't know if it's him just being stubborn. I don't know if it's him trying to teach Matthews a lesson, but if if their aspirations of a Stanley Cup are going to come, Babcock has to be a lot more flexible. Yeah, yeah, and I think the Penguins uh, may have dodged a bullet in regard that um, I don't expect – it to linger on much longer. I don't expect him to sit out the season. I don't expect a trade. I expect William Nylander to be back in the fold for the Maple Leafs sooner than later. Um, so anytime you can play them and not have that guy in the lineup, it's a win. Oh, yeah. And I, I completely side with uh, with Nylander in this, in this regard. Uh, I'm, I'll side with anything that screws the Maple Leafs. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously. But... Um, no, I, I, I like this, and it gets kind of into, in a similar manner, uh, I linked to it today in my grab bag at Penn's blog. Uh, Justin Bourne, colleague of Jesse Marshall with The Athletic, had a great piece this week about kind of the changing of the guard in the National Hockey League, where the high-end talent guys aren't just cardboard cutouts of personalities. They actually give more than just your canned quote and they know what their worth is and they're willing to stick to that and try to get paid for it. And I love that because, you know, in, in days of old, you would see guys who would say, well, you know, I, I want to win a Stanley cup and blah, blah, blah. And now they're kind of out in the cold a little bit because they left a lot on the table. And, mm-hmm. you know, it also is a rebuke to, and I hate to get down to this level. Well, I actually don't. I kind of love it. But it, it, it rebukes that fan base. Like, you should just be happy to be wearing the, the blue and white, and you need to be a Toronto Maple Leaf, and this is the best place to play in the world. Then fucking pay me. Yeah. If I'm going to help your team win a Stanley Cup, pay me. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that, what happens with the contracts of Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews moving forward. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be an incremental increase in the salary cap, so it's going to get a little bit easier for that. But overall, they're they're going to experience what the Penguins experienced in 2010-ish when the big dogs are coming up for uh, an extension and a payday. And they've done a good job overall stocking. Their yeah, system. yeah, and and the difference will be that they don't have the luxury in the old CBA to have the back diving contracts. Yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a big factor. But it's also they've done a good job 
of stocking their farm system with a lot of talent that they can probably sign on the cheap and then pay the big guns. But we'll see. This is not a Leafs podcast. We got to move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and as a good segue, you know who has not done a good job of stacking their roster with cheap young talent? The Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, there it is. There it is. So, uh, yeah. So the Penguins win 6-5 in overtime. Uh, you're going to have to carry this one because I did not watch the full game. Um, so three biggest takeaways from it. One, the Edmonton Oilers are Austin Matthews or Austin Matthews. Wow. Just going to let that hang for a minute. Edit. No, that's not going to be an edit. I'm just gonna let it hang. (laughs) Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and I don't know, some guys. Oscar Clefbaum, maybe, sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, Jack Johnson is not good. No, he's not. And it pains me to say this last one, but I think it's time for Daniel Sprong to take a seat. I I know that we want to wait a little bit until next week when we have all three of us to do a little more discussion on Sprong, but... I'll just leave it at this. Uh, He doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look like he's comfortable on an NHL roster and in an NHL game. Uh, I don't, it it doesn't look like a quality alignments problem. It doesn't look like a utilization problem. He's just, he doesn't look good. And I want to believe he can be better, but there has not been much of a sign for it. Okay. So let's play devil's advocate. If he sits, who's in for him? I would say Derek Grant. Okay. I think, I mean, he's been waiting in the wings. He had a little bit of an experiment early in the week in practice with with some of the guys. Um, a little more seasoned, not by a lot, but, you know, he's done a little bit more at the NHL level. And if you have him on the roster, you might as well use him at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, so from a scoring perspective on the Penguins end, uh, Patrick Hornquist's heating up a little bit two goals last night. The the more surprising guy who's heating up though, defenseman Jamie Oleksiak. He now has three goals on the season through seven games. Gonna play a little quiz here. In twenty seven eighteen, between the Dallas Stars and the Penguins, do you know how many goals Jamie Oleksiak scored? Two. Five. Five. Twenty sixteen seventeen, he also scored five goals, which is probably about right for a guy of his size and skill level playing defense. Five goals. I mean, if you told me that what should be a third-pairing defenseman scores five goals a year, I'll take it. That's house, um, mo- that's house money. Yeah. Part of the problem for the Penguins right now, though, is that Jamie Alexiak is probably their third-best defenseman. This is true. Um, and this kind of gets into a little bit of the Jack Johnson discussion that we'll have. The fact that he is what we've wanted from Gonchar and Martin. He's another graduate of the Jacques Martin, Sergey Gonchar rehab your career school because he, he has shown flashes throughout his career and in his time as a penguin. And it's kind of coming to fruition the same way it did with, Ooh, excuse me. Same way it did with Schultz, same way it did with, um, Latang to an extent. And 
the issue there to me is that with Jack Johnson, there's been a decade of proof that you can just say it. He's not going to get better. Well, yeah, but but the point I'm making overall is that with guys like Alexiak and Schultz, there was potential there. Same thing with Mata, and from what we can tell so far, same thing with Ricola. With Johnson, it he's a little too old, and it just hasn't been there. There's not a, you can't have a decade of coincidentally being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, it's not like we need to get this guy in here and get a stink off of him. I mean, I could see, let's say, defense, new defenseman comes in, signs with the Penguins, but he gets hurt. He misses training camp. He misses the preseason. He misses the first few games of the regular season. He's stepping in now, figuring things out. Jack Johnson's been with the Penguins since the beginning of August. Yeah, the system, he knows it. You're And stepping back from him not playing well as a penguin. Okay. He's a professional hockey player. So at some, he's a professional hockey player in his thirties. So he's been playing the game for a long time, probably upwards of 20 some odd years. So you have to imagine in his journey as a hockey player, he has played just about every kind of system you can imagine. Okay, he's probably been in a high-flying system. He's probably been in a conservative system. He's been in a two-way system. You name it. As a defenseman, he's probably had to play every role because you don't get to the NHL as a hockey player by not being in those positions. He's probably been the catalyst of the offense on the back end. He's probably been the rock on the back end. So it's not like the guy is still learning the system. We're almost into November. He knows it. He got time in the preseason. He's played in every game so far. Yeah, and and the the big thing coming into the season was all the talk about his his good first pass out of the defensive zone. He stinks at that too. Well, it's not even that he stinks at the first pass out of the zone. He doesn't put himself in a position to make the first pass out of the zone. I, I don't know if he's constantly trying to go for the big hit. I don't know if he's just slower, which is likely the issue, but maybe he can make a good first pass, but he's nev- never in position to do it. I I gave him credit for one play a few games ago. I think it might have been against uh, Vancouver where he stuck with a player behind the net, tracked them, got the puck, made a good pass. It, like just stick to the basics. I think, I think it might be a situation of trying to do too much. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that overall. But I will also add that I said at the start of the season I was hopeful but not optimistic about Jack Johnson. Right. Well, in the home opener, the first game of the season against the Caps, he sucked in the first period, but. So did the entire team. And then he played really well in the second period, third period, and the little bit he saw in overtime. And since then, it's just been a nosedive. I think what they need to do is sit him down, explain, here's what we need you to do. 
And if it doesn't get done, then it's time to get out the taser. Oh, boy. Are we sure that the taser... Did, did Johnston leave the taser behind? It's or, possible. Because I feel like he might have taken that with him back to Portland. You never know. There's <laughs> only one way to find out. No, but I think that's a good call. Um, I do think... Uh, I don't think all hope is lost with Jack Johnson. I think most hope is lost. But let's grab- I mean, I, we have to cling to some semblance of hope because we got four more years of this. Right. Let's grab onto that little glimmer that there is and hope that sitting him down for a few games, putting him in the film room, and making Gonchar put him through the paces in practice when he's a scratch will help. But... Just like my preseason take on Jack Johnson, my moving forward through the season take is hopeful but not optimistic. That's and that's I think that's fine. Um, so, in spite of the Penguins' defense and their lack of puck management in general, uh, they they did win six five in overtime thanks to a dazzling goal by the one Sidney Crosby. I'm, I just. Poor Ryan Strom. You know how when you watch something, because this is how I watch this, right? You know how in the moment you know something incredible is about to happen and you can't make a sound? Yeah, I usually have a better sense of seeing when something bad's going to happen than the other way around. Like I saw him make that move around Strom and went, oh, And then he buried it, and I, like, wanted to scream or shout or say something, but I was just like, what did I just watch? Yeah. Like, that was, like, between that goal and his power play deflection goal, that is the perfect description of Sidney Crosby's career. Yeah, yeah. You got the the flash of brilliance at one end, and then you've got the in front of the net tipping pucks in wherever he wants, whenever he wants with ease at the other end, two completely different levels of play, both incredibly brilliant in their own way. And I was also going to say, like, I know this will contradict a little bit with um, what I was saying earlier about liking that players nowadays have more of a voice and more of a personality, but this was Sidney Crosby's career. Yeah. Actions, not words. Yeah. He he said all the right things in the pregame of, well, you know, they have Connor McDavid and a couple other guys, and they're going to be good for a really long time. And they didn't really pose the who's the best in the world question to him because why would you go straight to the source with that debate? But he pretty much deferred and said, yeah, Connor McDavid's the best in the world. And then he went out and was like, by the way, I'm still here. Yeah, and he he relied on his teammates to back him up and say, no, he still is the best in the world, which, of course, they would. Absolutely. Like, (laughs) they were talking about that. um, Lozo and Wyshynski bringing them up again, not to promote another podcast on our podcast, but they were talking about how people have these goofy outrages when, you know, like a guy like TJ Oshie would defend Tom Wilson. And it's like, yeah. It's his teammate. Yeah. What do you expect? Of course, yeah. Like, no teammate worth their salt is going to come out and be like, well, actually, he's kind of yeah. a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, so so my last question regarding Sidney Crosby before we move to the week ahead. Uh, does 
Does his two goals last night open the floodgates for him? History says yes. We've seen. I it for, I, I tend to think so. We've seen it the last few years. You know, he might have a slow start or a, a dry spell through a few games, and then all of a sudden he scores in bunches. He got two last night, and as the three of us have said on this podcast, he keeps getting chances, and that's the biggest thing. Now they're starting to go in. So if he keeps yeah. doing what he's been doing, you have to figure more on the way. Yeah, and and it's funny that uh, the two two last night came on the power play and at three on three. So I'm sure I'm sure the chances at five on five will keep coming. They'll start going in. Yeah, and if we move to the week ahead, there's two, three teams coming up that he's got a good chance to score against. Yeah, so they are at Calgary uh, tomorrow night, nine o'clock Eastern. Um, I don't know. I haven't seen any lineup for Calgary of who's going to be in net. Part of me hopes it's Mike Smith because Mike Smith's not a good goalie. But the other part of me hopes it's not Mike Smith because I don't know if this is recency bias on my end, but it feels like every time Mike Smith plays against the Penguins, he has a horseshoe up his ass. No, Mike Smith is one of the notorious... Him and, him and Cam Ward. Yes, Mike Smith and Cam Ward are the two most wanted list on the Penguins goaltenders against that always seem to show up. It It's incredible. And, and there are always games where they're flopping around, diving around, sloppy goaltending, not a clean game, but they keep the puck out. And I know, I know everybody out there listening is going to be real jealous of that most wanted list name I came up with just right off the top, just flowed. <laughs> uh, so then after tomorrow, they're in Vancouver on Saturday night, 10 o'clock Eastern, late night hockey. Um, even with Pedersen back in the lineup, the Penguins should beat them. They should. They really should. And Vancouver's done the smart thing. They've really committed to rebuilding. They finally kind of understood that it's time to kickstart that with the Sedins going out the door. And yeah, yeah, their their retirement kind of forced their hand. I don't think they wanted to do it while the Sedins were there. Um, who knows whether the Sedins were ever asked if they wanted to be a part of a rebuild? But I, I feel like for their legacies, it might have been better for them not to be part of one. Yeah, it was a respect thing. You don't want to make your fran- your franchise cornerstones for over a decade be a part of a rebuild. And I also think they didn't want to leave Vancouver, which yeah, if that's yeah. if for everything they did for that team, if that's the case, then you just say, well, shit, we got to wait for them to retire. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a team they should beat. Uh, it's. It's a West Coast swing where I don't really know what to make of everything so far because it's been two kind of polar opposite games. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. It's also a West Coast swing that has games taking place after my bedtime. Yeah, I have to, I'm going to be in a wedding on Saturday, so I'm going to miss it's that. Um, I'm sure I'll get updates through my phone, but a 10 o'clock face-off at a wedding – might not be able to make uh, make, I, make understand. Might not see the end of that one. Might not understand what those uh, what those alerts are saying on my phone. Yeah. So, uh, do you know what time it is? What time is it, Mike? It's time for correspondences. 
got this week. I saw it's a my, couple. My, my favorite time of the week. It's when Savage uh, Mike see. comes out. Yeah. Uh, first question is from Chet. We haven't heard from Chet in a few weeks, but Chet's back. Uh, Chet's question is more of a statement. Um, Again. <laughs> name, <laughs> name nine Arizona Coyotes. I feel like maybe together we might be able to name nine. So I'll, I'll give I'll, I'll start with a few. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk is one. Oliver Ekman Larson is two. Off to a great start. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought about this the other day, and I said I wasn't going to look up the roster, so I never did. I haven't. Either. And I had more. I had more than two when I thought about it the other day. But I think Pavel Datsuk. Is Chris Pronger still under contract with them? Probably. <laughs> uh, as far as active players right now, um, <laughs> I don't know who's on their Maybe roster. We can, we'll come back to that at the end just to see if we can think of another. Oh my god, that's wow. bad. We need. That's really bad. Okay. Anyways, uh, Michael asks if there was a specific game that got you interested in hockey or led you to being a Penguins fan. He mentions the Mario Lemieux comeback game against the Leafs and the Kasparitis goal in the playoffs against Buffalo. I don't have one specifically. Uh, I don't either. I feel like big games like the Lemieux comeback in Toronto and Lemieux's game against Philadelphia where he got a standing ovation, games like that stick out. Um, Even brutal brutal games like the five overtime game against Philadelphia in the playoffs stick out as things that like you remember from a young age, but I don't have a one specific game. I'm going to save that question to ask Jesse next week. Cause I'm sure he has a specific answer. Yeah. And what I was going to say to that was I got born into a hockey family. Like yeah. my dad was a hockey coach. My mom was a hockey fan. So it was presented to me at an early age and, you had no I, choice. Well, yeah, I mean, which I always hate when people say that, though, because it's like I was never like pressure like you're going to like hockey, you're going to play hockey, you're going to love hockey like it. Yeah, it I can, I gravitated towards it. it. I still love it to this day, obviously. Yeah. Uh, next one is from Walter Flanagan. Uh, this is also a statement more than a question. Uh, he would like a debate where in Pittsburgh has the best hot sausage. He says. For him, nothing beats the quality of Leonard Labriolas. I would, I would kind of agree, but I'm a Delalo's guy personally. I gotta go Labriolas, man. Like, I mean, but that's the side of the city I grew up in. So yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, Monroeville, correct? Yeah, that's uh, Monroeville, Penn Hills area. Yeah, and yeah. That's, whereas, that's whereas for me, we've always now. been we've always been Delalo's out in Greensburg. Yeah, I mean. I've had Delilah's and I enjoy it. I just, it, it's like, it, it's such a tribal thing though. Where you're like, this is where yeah. I grew up. This is the best. I'm sticking yeah. with it. <laughs> I mean, even like as a kid, uh, graduation parties, exactly. uh, family, family gatherings, everybody in your section of the city gets it from here. Everybody in your section of the city gets it from here and you never variate from it. So from anybody, I'll add to that. From anybody on my side of the city, and I know, uh, I know my good friend DJ is listening to this, so he'll enjoy this. If you grew up on this side of the city, Penn Hills, Monroeville, this area, 
and you went to a graduation party, you knew you were getting Mohan's fried chicken. It's <laughs> pretty good. Uh, Jed asks, which failed playoff run between 2010 and 2015 leaves you with the most regret? That's a pretty obvious one, isn't it? It is. 2012. Really? I, I think so. I, I I may have surprised you, but the Penguins beat themselves against the Flyers in 2012. I got to go 2013. The stacked roster where they just zombied their way through the first two rounds and somehow got swept by Boston because Dan Bilesma put Jerome McGinley on the right side. No, I, I, I still lean 2012. No, not on the right side, on the left side. On the left side, on the left side, and I'm still bitter about it. Clearly. I I don't know. That Flyers series still. And Danny Greer was offsides. Yeah. He was. Uh, let's see. We got uh, two more. Brad Smith asks, how many years or months of his contract does Jack Johnson actually spend in Pittsburgh? Is eternity an answer? Because that's what it feels like. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say two. He will be Seattle expansion, and the Penguins will have to pay a premium to make sure that he is the selection. Yeah, they're definitely going to have to kind of go flurry-ish with that where they toss a draft pick at Seattle and say... Yeah, draft pick, prospect... Or Please take this guy. Or arrange a trade, retain salary, whatever. Although that might be a different route that I could see being possible. Um, I mean, if the Penguins were able to cap dump Connor Sheary, I'm sure they could find somebody to cap dump Jack Johnson to at some see, point. I don't think that's the best example, though. Because Connor Sheary was actually good here? Yeah, and they managed to cap dump Rob Scuderi. Yeah, that, that's a better example. And... I don't know if they'll be able to find a buyer with Jack Johnson just because of term and money. But, I mean, if you can cap dump Rob Scuderi the way he was back in 2015, you could probably find a way to cap dump Jack Johnson. And I believe at the time Scuderi was in the third year of his deal and he still had one full year left on the contract. And it was an instance where the Penguins retained half. And then Chicago dealt him again and retained half. I wouldn't see. I wouldn't be surprised to see the same thing happen with Jack Johnson's contract. Penguins and eat, I, say, say the Penguins eat two million of it, which leaves however much on the books, and they flip him again and retain half, which is less than a million bucks or whatever. Well, not even not even going that far down the road. If they retain just two million on that, they're in a position where. They can they can eat two million dollars. Like they have enough guys in place for a long enough time that if you can get rid of that guy, you have a Chad Ruweedle who can step in for a year or two, or you can find a guy on the cheap to step in because their forward depth for the most part is set. Yeah. And um to a little bit different point, this is obviously nuclear option. But uh, my good friend and managing editor, Jimmy Rixner, uh, he looked at the buyout <laughs> circumstances behind Jack Johnson this morning. And the numbers are we're, we're all just we're all just <laughs> so happy on that contract. The, the cap numbers aren't bad. It's, it's about a million bucks for 
seven of the eight years, but the other oh. year is uh, two million. So are we gonna have are we gonna have another Mike Darnay Twitter campaign? I I cannot confirm nor deny at this moment because that low key was one of the most fun times I've ever had on Twitter, and it wasn't it. it and I don't mean this negatively at you, Mike, but it wasn't any of your tweets. It was right after the trade. Yeah, I got the Penguins added me. <laughs> you OK? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I was not. <laughs> I definitely was not OK in a good way. Oh, uh, so so I last I question. Name, I won't comes, name the person. I, well, I won't I'm name sorry? the person. I won't name the person. But the person that runs the Penguins Twitter is just. Yes. Really good at what yes. they do. Correct. Uh, so last question comes from weekly good question bringer Morgan. I think I know the one he brought this week. If you could have dinner with anyone in history, who would it be and why? You can go first. I will go I will go second. Damn it. Um Well my semi sentimental and serious answer is my grandfather on my mom's side because mm-hmm. he passed away when I was really young, like four or five years old. I can't remember. But um, the reason I say that is because and I'm sure she's sitting outside the door right now waiting to hear me say this. I'm 99% sure my mom's dad was involved with the mafia <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, that'd be good dinner stories because the way though, the way my dad always talked about him uh, when my parents were first dating was he would go over there on Sundays to watch Steeler games and right around like 11 a.m. The phone would just start ringing and just start ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing. And every time he'd go up to the phone, answer it, talk for about a minute, write something down in a notebook, walk back, not not mention it. And you're, and you're telling me this was before uh, Bodog existed, too. Yeah. So it would have been fun to, uh, you know, now being 28 yeah. and out in the real world, kind of being able to sit down and be like, so, Pap, what kind of stuff did you do? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 at, and at this point in life, he would be more than happy to divulge. Yes. Um, God. I can't even like I saw this question and I I was thinking about it and I really I, I don't know like because I'm a big proponent of don't meet your heroes like mm-hmm. because what if they're idiots what if they're yeah. assholes like I mean if I if I had to if I had to pick I'd probably go with like Colby Armstrong and just ask him to tell me some stories from being a pro hockey player because it's That'd a, be a good one world. that'd be a good one. Guy who spent some time in the minors would have some good stories. Exactly. It's a wild world. Like, and I worked in it for a good few years. Yeah, so like, yeah. I know how goofy that world is. Yes. Yeah, so what so, about you? Who, do you? who are you going with, Mike? Okay. So I thought about this and I thought anyone in history, I would want to sit down with someone inspiring, someone who's done meaningful things, someone who has changed the world. And for that reason, my selection is John Taffer. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was not expecting that. 
<laughs> oh my god. That answer was the best. It felt good. <laughs> so you want to have a shut it down Sunday with him, huh? I would actually, if I could add a caveat to this, I would, I would like to go have beers with John Taffer in a bar where John Taffer would then berate the staff for their poor service. <laughs> That's. Can you imagine just you're you're having you're having beers with John Taffer? First beer. Hey man, what's it what's it like working on the show? You know, what, how'd you build your empire? How'd you get to that point? Second beer, he's telling you, he's telling you. Third beer, he's kind of like side eyeing some stuff. Fourth beer, he's flipping glasses and bar stools and or or how out. about between beer two and three where it takes like eight minutes to get a beer. Ooh, I, I I didn't even think of uh, potentially bad service uh, throwing this into overdrive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was uh, like, I was like, who is he going with? Is he going with Mother Teresa? <laughs> is he going like Barack Obama? Who's he bringing up? And then he says John Taffer. Drop the hammer. Oh man. Yeah. You have so. Any, uh, you have any EPL stuff you want to throw out there? Since I know I, I, I can't, I can't I do add know, much to it. But uh, Liverpool won in the Champions League today against a team from Belgrade. Uh, they were expected to win. They did win four nothing. It was a big win. Mohamed um, Salah broke a little goal slump that he had been in. Things are looking good there. Um, let's wait till next week to get Jesse's take on West Ham. Yeah, I. Obviously, uh, before like said, we wrap up, do you have anything to plug? Not particularly. Uh, like I hinted at a little bit ago, I did the my usual Wednesday grab bag. It's just uh, some links around hockey, hockey Internet. It's just some stuff you want to uh, if you missed or forgot about throughout the week, as well as giving you your update on the standings and some points races and save percentage, a little bit of analysis, and then the week ahead. And, you know, like everything else I do on this internet, I don't take it very seriously. It's a lot of joking around. Yeah. Um, it's not my own piece to plug, um, but Adam Gretz did write something for Pennsburg today regarding the Edmonton game. Um, I'm plugging it solely for the line. I believe it was a subheading that said the Penguins need Chris Letang and Brian Dumoulin to play for 60 minutes per game. That they do. Uh, if there is one line... From my grab bag, I would like to promote just to get people to read it so they can find out the context for it. It's this. To be fair, if I was a generational talent surrounded by nothing but hollowed out boat shoes and career AHLers, I'd probably skip town too. Yep. (laughs) Um, And on behalf of Jesse, I will plug, he has a piece on The Athletic about Phil Kessel and where he sits among the league's best forwards in terms of zone entries. It's very good. I would would recommend reading that. And Jesse, if you're listening to this Thursday morning, which is when this will be out, chances are I have not read it yet, but I will make sure to read it by this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's it. We'll see you guys at some point next week. Not sure what day yet, but we'll catch you then. Yeah, hope uh, Mike and I didn't drag this down too far, but thanks for tuning in. See ya.
Mm-hmm.